Okay, welcome. <laughs> Looks like we're having our second try at our live today with Nick McHale. Um, sadly, um, if anything live, when you're doing it for the first time round, um, I managed to press the wrong button and disconnect us. So here we are again, and Nick is joining us right now, and we get to do it again, Nick. Hey, how you going? Good, mate. Practice, <laughs> practice makes perfect, and we're doing it live. Hey, and I was only talking about practice uh, at, at the workplace, so I think your timing was perfect, actually. A, a oh, perfect example, a beautiful oh. example. <laughs> so I managed to actually turn me pressing the wrong button in our first live podcast into a workplace practice session. A work, it's, it's all about the lesson learned, isn't it? The lesson learned is not to press a button when I'm talking live. <laughs> well, so, Nick, I guess yes. we'll start again. Yes. Going back to the journey you've had and yeah. um, for years ago when you started the journey at Bright, um, let's go back and start there. Yeah, from the start, or where you tell me where you'd like to get going from there. Well, I, th yeah. I think one of the key things that we, you know, the influences over the last couple of years has been, mm. you know, the expectation around what the National Disability Insurance Scheme would do. And yeah. Clearly, uh, the expectations of organisations and individuals, uh, whilst they, in theory, should be the same, the reality is that running an organisation is completely different from someone receiving services as an individual. Mm. And that obviously is the challenge you face running a, a service provider, um, particularly one that has a storied history in yes. providing employment in one form or another. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, how, how awesome is it as Australians that we have a $22 billion uh, investment on an annualised basis um, to support people have a better life? Um, I, I think, I think as Australians, we, we, we don't, we don't do the tall poppy thing well. Right. Um, uh, but I, I think we can be incredibly proud and, and, uh, grateful as a community. Uh, and, and frankly, I reckon government have now done their job, right? We, we, uh, they've done their bit. They've, we, we've lobbied, we've advocated as a community. Government have heard, Productivity Commission wrote a report and the politicians put the hand in the back pocket and pulled out the money and there's, a, there's an act to ensure that, that that dollar is there into the future. And then the challenge becomes as an organization, right, well, how do we, how do we move from a block-funded, a, uh, a, a mindset that was very much around taking care of someone and protecting someone and wrapping someone up in cotton wool and the concept of uh, dignity of risk really not being at the forefront of the mind. Um, so that, that's, that is the challenge that we've been working through, supported by people like yourself, Pete, and, and, and the team at CDERP over the last three and a half years. Um, it's important, I guess, within a, any system and as, a, as an organization, um, we're talking significant change in people's work practice, um, a, a step out into the unknown for, and I'll say specifically our customers as our, our NDIS participants and, and their family, their support network. Um, and there's, there's really been a very heavy compliance and stick approach taken, um, I would suggest across our sector uh, that Staff are, uh, when I walked in and, and not been from the sector uh, three and a half years ago, my sense was people were actually afraid to do things because someone's going to take a stick if they do something wrong. And 
that's a very, very challenging mindset to be in. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to go into a place of work every day and feel like that. I reckon that would be pretty defeating on the soul and the spirit. Um, But it's also near impossible to create change in that environment. Which, which, which raises an interesting point, Nick. One of the things that, that, that the NDIS are quite vocal about is that because of the new funding paradigm, in theory, it would create and push innovation. And you're, you're alluding to the fact that, that individuals in organisations are a little bit terrified. So, I mean, how do you create innovation when people are, are I guess, they're scared of change? Yeah, yeah, re, uh, yeah. It's it's a it's a long process um, and a slow process um, of building trust. And you know, I, I guess as the CEO, it's my role to to foster that, to foster an, an environment, an atmosphere where people can take a considered risk. Um, and, and I, you know, I, you walk, I walked in the door and I say, like, hey, guys, you know, you, you, you won't, you know, you won't lose your job because you take a risk. If you're trying to do the right thing, I trust you. Um, you know, you guys have the experience. You've got years of, exp- uh, of, of work experience behind you uh, to bring to bear. Uh, it's one thing to say that. It's, it's another thing entirely for people to feel that. And the only way people see and feel that is actually when something doesn't go right. Well, you know, there's a bit of pressure now. Does does this new CEO stop smiling? And that does he say, "Well, no"? I mean, you know, of course you can make mistakes, but not the mistakes you made. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a really it's a really really fascinating um, experience of cultural change for us, and we we have slowly worked through that. Um, I have been very upfront with with the whole team to say, "Look, things are changing." That is, that is an external uh, change, both within the NDIS and within the community expectation. And I'm telling you now, as the incoming CEO, things are going to change. So you've got external change factors, and I'm being very explicit, you've got internal change factors now as well. So how, how can we embrace that change and actually, in embracing it, then be able to guide it as a, yeah. as a team? It's, that's a really interesting um, position because if you think about it, we're, we're trying to create under the NDIS uh, an individualised and personalised mm. service. Mm. And now you've got staff that are challenged to almost deliver one-on-one in a, in mm. a, in a personalised way. At the same time, you've got an organisation that, that realistically, most organisations being block or grant funded have never really embraced person-centred um, yes. practice and which is truly a, a one-on-one mm-hmm. uh, and we've mm-hmm. never really seen that to any great degree even though organizations would say they, yes. they do it's not terribly evident so you've got that interesting interesting juxtaposition of an organization that wants to be person-centered says it is but the staff are not really used to the idea of doing real one-on-ones and making decisions in that one-on-one environment where they can take a risk to help the client achieve their goals how do you, how do you support that? You're putting so much out there, and I've just there's probably three points I'll I'll, I'll make on it. I, I guess um, you know start. Let me let me start with the 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 the, the boring dull CEO speak here. Um, 
Right. So how does how does an organization that has worked on a block funded mentality and then a block funded service delivery, how do I know where my utilization of staff is at? Right. As we as we move to a genuine person centered and I very much agree with you, that is that is a one on one individualized, uh, flexible and responsive way of operating. Well, then from a purely financial perspective, I have to have systems that let me know, you know, is someone utilized 50% of the time or 60 or 80 or are they burning out at 120%? You know, are they doing all these extra hours to try and make this work? Because that's not sustainable either. So there's there's a systems issue there for for our organization that we we're continuing. That's a that's an ongoing, ongoing process for us. And I would suggest for our sector, it's it's not it's not a, a way of working that we are used to. Uh, but the systems aren't aren't uh, particularly strong on that. So there's a bit of work there. Uh, but sticking then coming to the to the more the, the meatier stuff, um, we we really felt that the discovery process um, was was how we you know move away from saying we're doing something and actually start doing something. Um, that is meaningful, that is one-on-one and that picks up the uniqueness of every human being um, and is guided by the uniqueness of every human being rather than guided by this is what we do and, and this is what you're going to do. I think that's one of the interesting things, you know, you discovery you know, in the journey we've had with you is the way you can actually use the discovery process to 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 literally open up the flow of information that yes. you've probably never seen before and yeah. utilize it in different ways and that's obviously the advantage of using discovery because it, it's not an assessment it's it's a way of really understanding as you talk about you know the meat and bones of the of the individual you're working mm. with so it, it's been a fascinating one to see how you've adopted discovery beyond employment you've used it literally as as whoever walks through the door let's use this to find out what their journey is going to be absolutely and and you you will remember the day well pete i mean we we did a bit of value stream mapping um, that's right yeah with, with you guys and i can you know it was a vivid moment of the light bulb going on as a as a team as the people that were in that room um to to say oh we're, we're actually going to look at this from a we're going to look at this from the customer's perspective or the ndis participants perspective and i'm sure other people had thought of that before but i it, it didn't have that there was a light bulb moment there there was a a, a paradigm shift for us in that to actually say, okay, what is someone's experience when they walk in the door or when we engage with them and how do we engage and what, you know, what questions are we asking? I mean, you know, are we just kind of doing the cookie cutter? Well, yes, we have been doing the cookie cutter. Now, how does that change? And, you know, there's those moments, those illuminations um, as that day was, and then that work continues. So we, I, 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 you know, you and I are very clear on this, and I, I'd be very clear in anyone I speak to. We have not cracked anything. We are not perfect in any way, and nor do we um, um, put ourselves out there to be. It's a continuous improvement process. Well, well I think you're right because perfection is a journey. And yeah, you know, you talk about that day when we did that work. I, mm. I just think there were so many light bulbs that day yeah. where we realised that you know what. 
we weren't using a consistent approach across the organisation. We were missing out on so much information. And then mm. to see the feedback as you started to adopt that for all your clients where you, you, know, you illustrated that all of a sudden clients were coming to the staff and going, there's some things I want to tell you about me. You know, that, yeah. that fascinating light bulbs that went off for clients where they wanted to actually share s stuff about themselves that we didn't know about that you could actually use to make the service. It's, the service it's, in, it's incredibly, incredibly enriching. And um, I, I, even just yesterday, we, we had a meeting here and uh, one of my colleagues, we were talking, you know, obviously we haven't mentioned COVID-19. It should at least be mentioned once, right, uh, in, any, in any current conversation. Um, but we were having a conversation around, look, okay, well, what are we doing at the moment? Like, what is it people need? How, how, where, where are we best placed to support? And, you know, where are other organizations or other experts uh, better placed to support and trying to look at that continuum? And one of, one of my colleagues just said, uh, yeah, but kind of discovery is everything we do. So it, it, it's picked up in every part of what we do. And I was, uh, you know, it was one of those, for me, it was a hair on the back of the neck standing up moment because it's like, oh, you know, someone just posed this back to me, and it was like, "This is this is superb. This is wonderful. Like, this wow. is where we need to be." And that's that's the level of change that we're going through. And again, I say we still don't have it cracked. We're still working on it, and 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 we will be working on it for you know, if we've been around forty four years to this point, we'll be working on it for another forty four years as a minimum. Long long after long after they they tell the Irish fella to move on. Um, but. <laughs> But it, how amazing is that as a uh, – because I guess with, with organizational change, you know, there's all of the – yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you know, Nick, I, I'm sitting here right now listening to this and, you know, we talk about culture change in organizations mm. and the fact that, that one of your staff have fed back to you about, well, you know, we're using Discovery, it really illustrates that, that Discovery is – in, within the, the customized employment framework or even standing by itself, it's really quite interesting because it's it's not something you can actually stick to an organization. It's got to seep into the culture and the fact yes. that staff, here we are for years into the journey of going, well, mm. you know, we use discovery and they see it as just a normative, suggests yes. that it's really starting to to seep into the culture and embed itself in ways that that where we don't have to think about it because... It's just it it just happens as part of the culture of the organisation. Hundred uh, percent, and and I I took a, a a huge level of enjoyment and satisfaction, um, almost of because I think there was a little bit of the individual saying, "Hey, this bloody CEO doesn't know what he's talking about, mate. This is discovery. Come on, what are you you know?" And it's like, wow, that that's fantastic because that's when you know that you're really that change is really uh, sticking. Yeah, it's, um, that, it's yeah. that ownership by the staff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and look, I mean, there's all the organizational change frameworks, and you know, I I I, I buy, absolutely there's great stuff in you know, and um, uh, in 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 doing my MBA and going through all of those frameworks, and they're all brilliant, but they don't tell the underlying story, and and we can all do a change process. And we've all been through them, in fact, where it doesn't stick. And we all go, yeah, 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 yeah. Really what you're doing here, this is the this is a cost cutting measure. And you're just you're 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 selling it as something else, but it's cost cutting, and we all know it. And 
I think what's been brilliant and really enjoyable um, process uh, and challenging process at Bright is this isn't about um, cost cutting. This is about quality of, of outcome for an individual and impact for a community, which comes back to what that, that constitution that was written all those years ago and comes back to the fundamental uh, principles that, that set Bright up by families. Right. Um, uh, you know, so I think there's there's so much wrapped up in that. But yes, to you know, to the 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 or the organizational change frameworks are great. But ultimately, it is about people and getting the right people on the bus. And most of the right people were already here at Bright. We we didn't you know, there wasn't wholesale changes of people. Um, but we were very explicit that, guys, there's external and internal change factors now. You'll get all the support in the world. You'll get all the professional development from experts that you need, and we will invest in you, and we will provide you with time, and we will consult, and I will meet with you one-on-one -on -one or as a group if you've got any issues or you call me out if on something. If, if you don't feel I'm being transparent, let's, let's have those conversations. Let's roll the sleeves up and let's get into it. Um, but the bus is about to leave, mm. and you can be on that bus or – if you don't want to be on that bus, then I will also ensure you get full support to go to an organization where you feel more connected to whatever that may be. Nick, when you, you start to look at that, we, here we're talking about the staff situation. Do you, do you think that this evolution in service delivery would, would have happened organically without the NDIS? Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to say no as a starting point. I think the NDIS is is the catalyst for change. Uh, it it re it it rebalances the power um, appropriately to an individual and their support network, rather which, than which is that that notion of person centeredness is about yeah. the client driving the bus. Yes, yes, ra rather than the power. And, and, you know, it's not a 100% thing. It's not a one or a zero, right? Power is a, is a, is a free-floating um, uh, concept that can be picked up in any situation and in any relationship and in any engagement. But I guess, you know, by way of example, Pete, sitting, sitting at Bright when I started, I met with all of our employees. I met with all the families as well. And families, my observation was that families were uh, probably treated in a way that they felt uh, there wasn't trust, there wasn't respect, they didn't feel heard before. And, that, and they're big statements. I'm, you know, I'm not putting that across 40-odd years of, of Bright, but there was, a, there was a strong sense of meeting 150 families, that that was coming through more than on a couple of occasions. And I'm, I'm going to give you an example on it. I sat opposite uh, uh, a parent and uh, one of our moms, and she sat down, and I, you know, did the normal Irish thing. Can I get you a cup of tea? You know, well, you know, I had a, a, a little bit of, you know, uh, I'm I'm the new fella here. Let let's sit down and have a bit of a yarn. And for the first fifteen minutes, she actually was holding her her handbag on her lap and was clutching it like her her kind of fist right. was closed, right? It's a shield. Yeah, 100%. And she actually put it down after about 15 minutes, and she said to me, and great, great insight on her part, great self-awareness, she said, Nick, 
you realize I've been holding this up because I thought when I got an invite in to talk to you, you were going to tell me there's a problem and that my son or daughter can't be here or you don't, you know, they're, they're a problem or they're this or they're that. And I was like, wow, that talk about being hit right between the eyes in terms of how we probably have treated people, how we have communicated uh, with, with our community um, and, and where the trust levels are at today. And so we, we spent a huge amount of time and continue to, but we spent a huge amount of time to do exactly what we did with staff and, and supported employees to use the, the term or our, our wider colleague base. We did the exact same thing with families. Let's sit down and let's be transparent and let's talk about what we can do better. And I, Pete, and you've been in some of those meetings. 50% yes. of our families will say, oh, no, don't change a thing. Keep bright exactly the way it is. And 50% will say, and, you know, rough rough figures, 50% um, will say, awesome, let's let's get doing customized employment. Let's, let's get talking about careers. Let's move in that direction. And you know what? We can actually do both, and we can do both really well. If, if we come back to this being about choice and control, um, then both can be done well. And the, the little, my own little proviso on that supported employment piece then is that when we talk meaningful work, that has got to be like career progression opportunities at Bright, and it has to be appropriately paid as well. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the interesting things. If you look at the model of, of employment we have in Australia, we, you know, realistically, we, we won't adopt the American version. Um, we need to adopt a version that suits the NDIS, which is about choice and control. And for some people, they'll choose, they want to choose that the idea of what effectively is is social skills, but yeah. social skills within a work setting. Um, sure because that's part of that, that meaning-making for people. Mm, mm. Yeah, and, and look, and that's, uh, there, there's a change process at an organizational level and there's a community change process underway, right? So uh, we'll accept that everyone is at a different stage of that development um, or, or, or their view of, of what is, is appropriate and what isn't. One of the things that... Um, and I, I used supported employment. One of the, the bit of change of language I'm, I'm trying to push through in myself and, and here within the organization is to talk about support in employment. And, uh, you know, I know we can get into semantics, but I actually think support in employment then removes that it, it, it is potentially within the four walls of one place it then opens it up to say, well, you know, for me, support and employment means that I'm going, I'm going to build bikes at Bright. But for, for you, Pete, that might mean I want to work at my local library. So mm -hmm. give me my support in employment at my place of employment, please. Which, which I think is one of the things that, that appears to be not very clear in, for people around employment in the NDIS. It's not about inside an organisation. It's about wherever you want it to be. Yes, Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that that's I guess the 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 previous funding uh, model being quarantined to uh, organisations such as Bright and and other disability enterprises of I think we're there's about 160 odd at the moment um, 
across Australia that that money has been sanctioned and quarantined for us. And it's like, well, you know, you might you might have a good idea, but actually, sorry, all that money is already eaten up over here. I think the the new the the changes that are coming through with the NDIS in, in terms of new employment the the new employment funding um, pricing and model uh, from July one will will make a real difference in that and we'll start opening the the doors uh, a little bit more and I would say the doors of people's minds as well uh, including my own um, you know and that's that's an interesting one I mean if your question is well what different you know is it the NDIS making that difference well. Yes, in that instance, I think it is. I think the change in the way money flows um, can further tweak behavior and then practice or thinking behavior practice and then delivery uh, ultimately. Let's step back a little bit, Nick. You mentioned careers and careers are obviously an important aspect because obviously, you know, we go to work and we expect some sort of progression, whether it be within the organisation or without. So how do we foster careers within the framework that we work under now? Uh, do, do we do we uh, develop careers? Um, again, and, I'll, I'll, and yeah. I guess in, in a sense, that's a leading question. Because it is. No, no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with that. Development within I, I, employment. I, I'm reflecting. I'm reflecting on kind of what we do at the moment and have done for many years. And there's people that have been at Bright since Bright opened. Um, um, you know, a, a waning, a waning few as as uh, as time passes. But um, I find that it's a really interesting one because I find that equal equal parts wonderful and equal parts ah. Probably tells me we need to work a bit harder um, in terms of how we support people. Um, I've got a, a simple kind of philosophical view I take on it that, look, if someone chooses to spend their working career, their working life at Bright and work for 40 years at Bright, whether they have a disability or not, is if that's their choice and that there's opportunities to do so, wonderful. What I would add to that, though, is there has to be meaningful development as well and opportunities to grow um so i i I would say that's that's been our challenge okay you're gonna you know i'm gonna we do some food packing we've got clean rooms here um am i gonna pack the same thing for x number of years and i might actually enjoy that but where's where is the progression like where am i being challenged and and i'm you know i'm a firm believer that every human being needs to be stretched um, and challenged to be to 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 be um, to grow in, in into the person they can be and you know seeing seeing potential in people is part of what we we need to foster more of uh, rather than maybe having a bit of a deficit view there um, everyone can grow everyone can do something else and can try things and it's back to what we said at the start well we can try and uh, a different practice and see if it works well someone else can try a different job and if they find they're brilliant at it wonderful if they find they're terrible at it wonderful <laughs> if they find they're mediocre at it wonderful as well and let's give the feedback and let's let's um wrap those services and professional development and training opportunities uh, around an individual funny enough like we do in all of our careers Pete, but well, yeah. we seem to have a different view when it comes to people with disability and and I guess that's the the fundamental change and what really excited me around um, 
uh, customized employment. And, and, and again, you know, in a very, very fundamental sense, discovery continues that because the conversation you and I might have uh, in terms of a discovery process today will be a very different conversation in 6, 12, 18, 24 months because I'm a different person in 6, 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah, look, look, I think that's an interesting one, isn't it? When we talk about careers and giving people career progression, um, you know, I used to teach um, a unit when I was teaching psych on careers for psychologists and I always and still do hold the view that, um, and this will get me into trouble, I'm sure, but Good. I've never planned my career. I've let my mm. career find me. Mm. Um, and just gone with the opportunities. And I wonder if, in our haste to, to say we need to provide career opportunities for people with a disability, what we really should be doing is maybe providing opportunities for them to explore things that may become their career path. Yep, yep, I, absolutely. And I, I would have a, a shared experience. There's probably a personality type in that as well, but I've certainly had a shared uh, experience to you of you know my career. Um, I've always enjoyed working hard. I've always had a... A, 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 I've always found a deep sense of meaning in in adding value to other people's lives, um, and and it, that has kind of guided me and led me um, from working in call centres and financial services, where I kind of went, mm, don't know how much I'm actually helping people here, uh, right right the way through until finding kind of the not for profit world in in my time in the last thirteen years in Australia and. And Bright, uh, and, and being a CEO uh, at Bright, uh, gives me real opportunity at a, a to, to kind of further that impact, which goes to my personal sense of what, what I like to go home and feel like I've been a part of in any given day. And I, I think you're right. I think how opportunity is what it is, is what we need to create more of uh, for every individual. Uh, but without probably putting huge pressure on it either. Like, oh, I'm going to try something. Well, I've tried loads of things, and I've frankly been pretty average or or average to poor on most of those things, and that's the human experience, right? Um, yes. But but what do I actually like getting up and doing in the morning? Well, for the craziness of it, I love coming into to a place like Bright where I work with incredible people every day, Um I get to engage with families in really meaningful conversations. And as a parent, I find that incredibly rewarding. So, you know what? That's what I like to do. Others could look at it and say, God, I wouldn't want to borrow that. You know, and that's fine. And, yeah. and that not that anyone's job or anyone's career? Absolutely. Let me, let me ask you one more question, Nick. Um, and this is maybe a little bit of insight, uh, maybe a bit of vision. But what do you think the next evolution is under the NDIS? For employment. For employment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I guess for Bright, let me put it that on that side. And uh, I'll just note, it's been a very philosophical morning, Pete, so thank you for this. I've enjoyed it. quite all right. It's uh, Friday, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very re reflective. Um, I, I, uh, I see two sides to it. I think that support in employment and that opening up of opportunities um, across across Australia is is wonderful. And the 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 um the moments for people with disability to actually go and through discovery for us to say well these are these are the areas i'm interested in um and to work with employers to connect uh an employer and and a and a potential employee 
um, in, in something that is mutually beneficial. So get rid of all of that charity welfare mindset. Uh, in, in this environment, there's a place, time and place for it. Um, but from an employment perspective, let's have empowered conversations. And I think that's where the NDIS is going. Um, that, for me, starts to drive better outcomes. Um, it, it also starts to provide scale because the challenge we have at the moment is that we're not getting anywhere near enough people with disability into the career and job opportunities they are seeking. Um and we're going to have to do that in an economy that is is going to struggle over the next couple of years. So I think it's, it's a wonderful challenge to be a part of on that side. And I do think the scale opportunity is there by organizations such as Bright and others uh, connecting employers and employ potential employees and removing uh, some of the um, perceptions of risk for employ employers and potentially for employees, uh, and where there are challenges to to accommodate those. To you know, there's plenty of funding out there. There's plenty of um, government support to accommodate an individual's disability to enable them to be productive in a workplace. Well, right. Well, there's the challenge. Let's go do that. So that that's the the scale option. Um, um, the the internal one here, you know, as we as we progress we'll continue to have a, a a a what will become and what is becoming a a social enterprise uh, environment where within a a mixed workforce um people with disability will have access to uh, uh career jobs but career opportunities and and we're looking at that through you know, through our work uh, around our BRIC, our assistive technology, um, technology development and, 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 and build. So um, our kind of tagline there, and it is a meaningful tagline, albeit a tagline, is uh, uh, people, with dis you know, people with disability for people with disability. Um, you know, so that starts picking up co-design, that starts talks about, you know, speaks to lived experience and how lived experience can inform design. Um, and and provides uh, financially viable business into the future that that pays appropriate salaries. So and that's the key, isn't it? Mm. A financially viable business that provides the opportunities. Yeah. So on, on on that side, we're absolutely committed and convinced that it is absolutely possible, and we're not there today, but it is absolutely possible for us to run a social enterprise in Broadmeadows um, that. Um, employs people with disability, amongst others, uh, that can run on its own two feet, yes. separate to. And someone's NDIS package, as it may be, um, is is theirs to deal with. Our business runs, and your employment is is ap appropriately completely separate to your uh, your employment uh, contract with us is completely separate to your NDIS service and supports. And, and we'll run that way. And then if you need additional support, well, then you can buy that from us. Or frankly, you can buy buy it from whoever you feel comfortable with and they can come in and support you in work. And that's clearly got to be the future going forward for, for service provision. And that is a, a viable business first um, without the necessity of having NDIS money. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think that... You know, uh, the 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 previous funding, whilst 
I'm not, I don't know that. I, I guess off the record, I've heard it described this way. Um, probably not as much on the record, but it it has been seen as a subsidy, at least here at Bright. I can't speak to any other organisations, but it has been seen as a subsidy. And um, I, I, you know, without getting uh, into a political um, debate on this, I'm I'm not a fan of subsidies for businesses. I think it 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 holds back uh, creativity and change. Um, and so we're 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 progressing through that. We're not there yet, but uh, in in moving into designing, developing, um, and selling, assembling, and, and and selling assistive tech, um, we we believe there's a um, a strong business proposition there that stands on its own two feet, meets our social purpose, creates employment opportunities, creates genuine pathways and transitions from that employment externally as well. Um, and, and also ensures financial viability. So that's they're probably the two fronts for us, Pete, is, is very much that external scale option. And then for Bright and Broadmeadows, a, a financially viable social enterprise. And I'd love, I would absolutely love Bright to be a place where, Bright and Broadmeadows, to be a place where we have any accommodation required is here and people are productive um, with, those, with those accommodations. Um, and that other employers, if they're going, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I've heard people with disability, this and that, and all you know, the normal bias that we all have, yeah. we all have. Well, you know what? I'm actually not going to try and sell you. I'm going to ask you to come into our business and see that we operate a financially viable, commercially focused business that just so happens to employ people with disability. So why don't you come and make up your own mind? And then if you need support around doing that at your place of work, well, hey, we can help you with that too. Absolutely. Well, Nick, thank you very much. This has been quite illuminating. It's been a bit of a trial and error and practice for us, but I think you know this has been quite worthwhile. And your contributions and certainly your knowledge has been um, will be more than beneficial for listeners. And and thank you for that. And I'll play with my audio effects, and we'll we'll give the audience will give you a clap. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your time today, Nick. Very much appreciated. Likewise, Pete. Always a pleasure. Not a problem. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, mate. Bye.